Well, my gosh, it is episode two. We're still on the air, you guys. I have a very special guest, my good friend, Katie Maravilla. Now, I will tell you a couple of things about this podcast. Though it's the second episode of Wonder Woman Wednesdays, it is the first recording that I did. And on top of all the technical challenges, which you'll hear me complain about, I do tend to go on about the specifics of the episode plot. Now, I strongly encourage you to stick around for Katie's fascinating and moving story about how cosplay has affected her life. In the meantime, we are giving a full breakdown of episode two on Wonder Woman Wednesdays. Steve Trevor is framed as a traitor by a secret Nazi spy ring operating within the U.S., led by the Baroness von Gunther from her prison cell. Wonder Woman's help is complicated when she loses her magic lasso. Will the Baroness triumph with her confederates on the outside, or does Wonder Woman have a friend on the inside that can crack the case? Find out now when Wonder Woman meets Baroness von Gunther. How's that for a description? That was awesome. I feel like there should be theme music with it, too. <laughs> Maybe we can put some in the background. I am talking to Katie. Katie Maravilla. How's it going, Katie? It's going great, Stan. How you been? I have been, I've, I, I talked to you a little bit about this. I've been going absolutely crazy trying to put this podcast together. I am, I, this is my, you know, uh, novice attempt to podcast and everything that can go wrong so far has gone wrong. And so I'm on my second podcasting computer. I think my microphone's working. So we're going to go from there and just see what happens. <laughs> because yeah, I'll have... Get it out of the way early. Yes, yes. I, I know I have more problems to encounter when I when I start to edit. Oh, look, my one of my monitors just went out. That is awesome. We're off to a great start. Okay, so <laughs> Katie, uh, tell the folks, because I think I've already talked about who I am. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you are. Uh, we're going to talk more later about, about cosplay and everything, but uh, just give us a brief uh, introduction. Yeah. Um, so I am from a small town in South Carolina. <laughs> I don't know how specific you want to get. Um, I'm a mom, two kids. I am a corporate training manager. So by day, cosplayer awesome. by night. <laughs> yeah. And we met, um, so I know you, a lot of the, the folks I talked to, I probably uh, will not have met before I talked to them, but we know we know each other uh, from, I think it was maybe five years ago, uh, we did a skit together. My, my friend Jack uh, and I used to have a TV show and uh, we did, uh, we did uh, sketch comedy and a lot of it had to do with movies and uh, I think this was when the Wonder Woman movie came out. It was. It yeah. was. Yes. Oh, Pucky. That, that's right. <laughs> so there's there's the uh, the the sketch that we did was uh, Captain Canada and his pal Pucky meet Wonder Woman, and uh, and fight a villain. And I'll uh, I'll put a little uh, uh, link. I'll put a link to that sketch on the uh, show notes uh, as soon as I figure out how to do that. Uh, but uh, we didn't know each other before. I think you knew Jack, though. I think that's I how 
I, I told him we're going to, we're going to review wonder woman. So we need a wonder woman to do our comedy sketch. And he knew you from, was it from SC comic-con? It's either that I want to say we knew each other in college or something too. I'm not very good at this. So wow. I apologize if it was, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you just go way back. Yeah. Yeah. We've known each other for a very long time. So it was no question. I was going to jump in and, hang out with y'all yeah and even before uh sc comic-con was started uh because we uh we started doing that i know that my first sc comic-con was their third year i think um but you had been cosplaying wonder woman uh before that haven't didn't you yeah for a couple years i think i'm going on nine or ten years now awesome <laughs> wow <laughs> so um so that's that's your background uh we'll talk again more about that and and uh uh more about wonder woman's influence on your life but let's get to breaking down this episode um so just overall I, like first before we get started how what did you, what did you think of the episode like in terms of you know in the context of all the wonder woman that you're familiar with what did you think of this particular episode I liked it. I felt like it was a strong episode to kind of kick off with. I mean, yeah. it was literally after the pilot episode, it was this episode, right? Mm -hmm. I believe yeah. so. Yeah. And so I felt like it was strong enough. Like it definitely showed Wonder Woman just coming in right from, from the jump. And yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And she, I thought, um, I mean, I will say that you can tell, and Linda Carter admits this, um, you can tell that she's still kind of new at acting. Mm -hmm. um, she's only had a couple of roles before that. She had like bit parts in TV shows. Um, and so this is only her second episode. And the pilot, the pilot came out in November of 75. And this episode comes out in April of 76. So it's like five, five and a half months later. And so they're starting out really slow. And in fact, there's only going to be one more episode, I think, in, in that particular season. So like the first season is really only three episodes. And then they start a more full season the following, you know, later on in the fall of, of 76. So it's like they're just testing the waters, you know, uh, like with these special events. And so, um, so there's a lot of nuance that she has in the character that you see in the later episodes that is not quite there yet, but you can already tell, you know, how awesome she is, you know, like she's, she's got this real sort of thread of humanity and, and decency and, and, and it's written in the script that way, but you can, you can tell that that's the kind of person they needed for the role. So, um, and that's who they have. Yeah. Absolutely. I even liked that the Baroness, they started off with a woman villain. And yeah. I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, um, one of the pieces of trivia is that um, this is one of the few actual villains that they use from the, uh, from the comic books. Like uh, a lot of the stuff that happened in the comic books, they didn't use in the series. And, you know, they, I think more and more, they kind of went away from the comic books, but but at least this particular villain uh, is a comic book villain. And interestingly, she apparently later gets rehabilitated and moves to Paradise Island. So she becomes a good guy. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember that now with the comic books. Yeah. Did, I might so did you have that comic book? 
So you read the you read the comic books? I have I've started quite the Wonder Woman comic book collection now. Um I'm actually kind of proud of it. I have I don't have the first appearance of Nubia, but I or yes, I have the first and the third appearance of Nubia. Those are my prized ones. Awesome. Yeah. I have to find the second one, let me know, Stan. I will, I will. I will inform you. I, I have to admit, I didn't read the comic books very much. I, I wasn't much of a comic book reader, but my whenever my brother bought a comic book, I'd read them. And uh, he did. He did buy some Justice League comics, so I, I saw some Wonder Woman, but, but I don't think he ever got an actual Wonder Woman comic book. So I missed out. I was, I was introduced through the show, and that's, that's kind of how I have always known her. So. All right, so let's let's just dive into the uh, some of the specific scenes here. So, of course, the the episode opens with the credits, which I think are great. Um, I don't know how much I've talked or will talk in the previous episode, um, you know, in the pilot talking about the credits, but there, it's just so cool how, I mean, th- what the credits accomplish is kind of like taking the the comic book format and literally making it real. You know, like Linda, you know, bursts or, or Wonder Woman, I should say, bursts out of her uh, bonds there and then she jumps forward and then it's Linda Carter for real. I just think that's so cool. It's I mean, I find it moving almost every time I see it. So, yeah, I definitely let them play through every time, you know, the joy of streaming services. Now you can yeah. skip the intro, but absolutely not. You've got to hear the song. You've got to do the spin. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, oh, just I, the graphics yeah. alone. <laughs> Yeah, and I love that song. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. It's pretty rocking for a for a theme song. Um, so and in the in the credits, we see that the uh, the writer is Margaret Arman, and it's a that's pretty cool. It's a female writer too. That didn't happen a whole lot back then. Um, you know, there weren't a lot of women in the writers' room, as they say. And uh, but this um, this woman, Margaret Arman, she has a long uh, resume. She started writing westerns with Zane Gray Theater and The Lawman, uh, Rifleman, Big Valley, and then she wrote some Star Trek. And uh, around this time or after Wonder Woman, she wrote some Bionic Woman. So she's she's been out there. And, I had uh, no idea that was even a thing. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, and the director uh, is Barry Crane. And he was, uh, he worked mostly, it looks like in the 60s and early 70s, Mannix, Mission Impossible, Police Story, Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman, The Incredible Hulk, Hawaii Five-O, Chips and Trapper John, MD. Quite a resume. Yeah, I would say. Um, and I think he did a nice job. There's some pretty cool stuff happening in the uh, in the episode. Although the first scene, I will say, it made me a little claustrophobic. I don't know if you noticed, but the first scene takes place in, I, I guess it's Diana's uh, section of Steve's office. Like his, his office must be behind her and she's got this little office in front or something. I'm not quite sure how it's all laid out, but I think it's her section of the office and General Blankenship comes in. Blankenship is played by Richard Easton. Uh, he replaced John Randolph, who played Blankenship in the, uh, in the pilot. And... Uh, he was a busy actor. He played a lot of roles in the 60s and the 70s and a little bit in the 80s. Um, he was from one of my favorite uh, one-season shows called Salvage One, which was an Andy Griffith show about uh, a junkyard 
a guy who runs a junkyard and puts together a rocket that goes to the moon. Um, and uh, he also played Dr. Howell on Falcon Crest. So Blankenship comes in and he's, his instruction is to pace around and there's almost nowhere to pace because it's so small. Like he's wedged between her desk and some filing cabinets. Filing and so he, he does a little pace back and forth. Uh, he's basically just talked, you know, they're doing some exposition about the spiring, the Advir spiring. I didn't, I had to put on the captions because I wasn't sure what they were saying, <laughs> but it's the Advir uh, spiring. And which I guess is based on a real spiring. Like they didn't, they didn't actually like try to frame, uh, you know, an officer, what I guess the real spiring called Operation Pastorius, uh, there were spies sent to the U.S. to do economic sabotage and like, I don't know, mess up our, our uh, economic system. And they were caught and most of them were executed, believe it or not. And uh, they were the subject of Hitchcock's movie uh, Saboteur in 42. So there's a little more trivia for you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, so we have that first scene. And then we get to see the first spin into Wonder Woman. I heard um, in the commentary on the pilot episode that the the spin was... uh, like really expensive to do and they had to change it. Like the spin that we're familiar with has that big sort of burst, you know, that that like fire burst or whatever. Um, and this is before they started doing that. This was just a slow-mo kind of overlapping. Like you could see Diana and then you could see Wonder Woman at the same time. And I guess for some reason that, that was too expensive to do the, uh, I guess because of the high frame rate, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I imagine back then you didn't have the special effects that we do now, of course, where it's super simple to do and ah, two minutes of work. I imagine that was even a lengthy process on top of being expensive. Yeah, yeah. So eventually they tried to economize it, but you still get the old the old style transformation. And then once she turns into Wonder Woman, I mean, her, her intent is to leave and, and help Steve because, you know, the general says he's in trouble. And she goes out this little door, which I swear always feels like she's going into a bathroom. I don't know why, (laughs) but I guess because when she opens it, you can just see a wall. So I don't know where she's going. I assume it's like a back exit out of the uh, office or maybe it's a window. She's just going to Wonder Woman jump right off the the ledge. Yeah. (laughs) I like that she had to throw her clothes in a cabinet because you can't just, you know. Right. Diana's clothes. <laughs> she yeah. had to throw in the cabinet before she ran out. She had to figure out those details. <laughs> All right. So so she goes to um uh I'm sorry, we go to the, the federal penitentiary and we get a, a little scene with the Baroness and her her you know her uh partner who's who's uh uh spy uh, acting as a guard and they're just walking like nobody's ever suspicious of this Hanson guy even though he's just walking around with the Baroness and they're like plotting and, you know, you know, talking confidently to each other and, and, and nobody thinks that's weird. The Baroness is played by Christine Belford. Uh, She played a lot of uh, smaller roles in Dynasty, Empire, Silver Spoons, All My Children. Uh, It's probably best known as uh, Samantha Sanders on Beverly Hills 90210. 
Now, our spy slash uh, security guard, Hansen, is played by Ed Griffith, uh, who probably his biggest role was actually one of his first in 1962. He was a regular on a show called Our Five Daughters. And he went on to play bit parts in uh, Lucan, uh, Galactica 1980, Jigsaw Murders, and uh, is probably most memorable, at least to me, uh, from the Kentucky Fried movie. He's the host of the Danger Seekers segment. So Hansen, as of yet, is not under suspicion for being a spy, even though he hangs out with the Baroness all the time. <laughs> right. uh, so, and they're talking about, um, I guess she's just, she's just asking him like, what time is it? Probably because they have some coordinated thing that's going to happen where the, uh, they sabotage this truck that Steve is after, but it's not much of a scene. I guess it's just meant to, to introduce them, you know, and sort of introduce their dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing to see here. Just a stroll through the, the prison grounds. That's right. <laughs> so so we get to this training maneuver that Steve is doing. I don't know if you noticed this. So Steve's there telling his bunch of guys, there's like, I don't know, eight guys in, in their army clothes. <laughs> and there's something weird about those uniforms. Like he's got he's got a regular sort of olive drab jacket. And and I guess what's supposed to be a t-shirt underneath, but it looks like like a green handkerchief that's just been strung between the two lapels to sort of cover his chest. <laughs> like he's they couldn't find a real shirt for him. So they gave him, I don't know, some kind of weird covering. It was just very strange. I didn't notice that. I mean, but if they spend all the budget on the spins. <laughs> you know. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But and the thing is, I was not in the military. My the only reason I think I'm an expert at uniforms is because I watched Mash. Nice. So, and so maybe Mash had it wrong, and everybody walked around with those handkerchiefs covering their <laughs> their chest. I don't know. So government issued. <laughs> so he um, so he tells the guys that you know the truck is going to come and they're going to do some kind of exercise. I guess I don't know. They're going to stop the truck and you know pretend to get everybody out of the truck and I don't know do whatever military thing they're supposed to do. But the saboteurs have have set an avalanche to go off or a little mini avalanche, and it and it causes the truck to spin out of control and it and it starts to go over a cliff. And and Steve's like, ooh, that wasn't supposed to happen. Let's go get that truck. And so their plan to to get the truck back on the road is to put is to pile a bunch of rocks because like the two front wheels are off the cliff. And and so they pile a bunch of rocks under the front wheels to I don't know, to get it more steady because it's a it should be a rear wheel drive. I, th I think like, you know, it's not front wheel drive. Uh, not back then. I don't think so. So there's no reason for the we front wheels to have traction, but they, I guess they want to get it. So the wheels in the back, I, there's something very logistically weird about this whole setup. Like, I don't know if your plan is that great, Steve, but that's what they do. They like, and it seems like it would take a long time to get all the rocks gathered to put under those front wheels in order for him to just have a better balance on the truck. They could have just piled those rocks into the back of the truck and they might've had a better. Uh, uh, Gee, that was smart. I was thinking like the seesaw thing, like let's stop the truck from seesaw and pile the rocks up front. Right. 
Right. <laughs> I, I think it would, it would be easier to put them in the back, though. Maybe. I, I would know. think so. Yeah, that, that's super smart. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so he starts uh, trying to drive it backwards. It doesn't work. And the truck starts falling forward. Wonder Woman, uh, you know, is is looking on and she's like, OK, time to help. She it's it's pretty cool. They have the first shot of her is just she just arrives and looks at Steve like, I don't know. She's either in love with him or proud of him or something. It's just this wonderful look on her face like there's Steve doing his thing. <laughs> and she and she lets him, you know, she lets them figure the truck thing out. Uh, until it's obvious that he needs help. And so, because the truck's rolling and he's like, oh, I better get out of here. And he's kind of half jumping out of the truck, but she lassos him to, to get him out of there before the truck goes over the cliff. And, and of course, being a TV show, the truck immediately explodes as soon as it hits anything. And so, uh, you know, he's grateful and uh, and she has saved him. And so... That's that scene. She's like, uh, we got to get back because uh, you're in trouble. I think it's like the introduction of their partnership, you know, because obviously throughout the series, you start seeing them do a lot of teamwork stuff. And she lets him do his thing, like you said, until he can't do his thing anymore by himself. And she has to jump in. So maybe that's how they introduce the listen. Wonder Woman lets Steve handle business until it's time to step in. Yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic. And that it happens later in the fight at the end uh, where, you know, there's this real sort of balance that they have to strike, especially in the 70s, you know, um, to sort of make sure that, I mean, they've set up this thing that's kind of revolutionary for the time where, you know, she's going to rescue him all the time. Mm-hmm. But But they try to do it in such a way, like you're saying, you know, where, um, where he's he's allowed to try to get himself out of it until the last minute, until she has to help him, and and so there's a certain amount of I guess sensitivity to the male ego there, you know, like she just doesn't she just doesn't bluster in and rescue him. She just waits until he really needs it. So they go back to Blankenship's office, and uh, Steve and the general talk about how, you know, basically he's being set up to be a spy. And there's, and there's a weird thing here. I, I don't know if it's the way they do things in the government, but um, Arthur Deal, who is a well-known patriot, but a citizen, like he's not, he's not in the Senate, he's not in the military, but he's a, he's a patriotic citizen who happens to be a, a very rich, uh, uh, some kind of magnate. I can't remember what Steve said, but uh He's a rich fellow. And so he gets to have all this classified information. Like they're supposed to send classified information to this guy so that he can um, lead a, a Senate investigation into Steve, whether or not Steve's an a, actually a traitor. And so that seems a little suspect to me, but also the way things seem to go these days, not far from the truth Mm-mm. and probably <laughs> has been happening for a long time. I mean, like, you know, rich, rich guys and the government seem to have their hands in each other's pockets, you yeah, know, definitely agree. <laughs> so, so yeah, it, it may not be technically allowable, but seems like the way it goes. So, so it's believable enough. 
And so, uh, so we get to um, Diana's office and Steve and Diana are looking for these files. Cause what's going to save him is, you know, the actual, uh, I guess the, um, the orders that he had to do these different missions because uh, the, the, you know, the Senate committee thinks that he just showed up because he's a traitor uh, at all these, you know, pivotal, pivotal uh, moments. Um, sabotage, like the general said. Yeah. Sabotage. That was one of my favorite lines was in that office right before that part. <laughs> it's like one word, sabotage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so they're going through the files. Uh, Steve and Diane are going through the files. And of course, there's a close up shot of the files. And this happens a lot with classic TV. I don't know how clearly you saw this, but none of this, you know, these classic TV shows were intended to be on big HD TVs. And so they didn't expect you to see the details. Like, these files are the worst files <laughs> ever. None of them have labels. They have they have scribbles and crossouts all over them. They're all old and, and they're just like Diana. You have to fix your filing system. <laughs> but anyway, they're, so they're they're going through those files, and of course they can't they can't find the files that they need because they've been st they've been stolen. Yes, of course. Jo -jo -jo. Uh, <laughs> so and then while they're there they get a phone call from some man who has a beret hiding his face that shot even for that time frame is so great <laughs> you can't see anything but the beret is sitting so sideways on his head <laughs> you can't tell who it is exactly it, it looks like it's gonna fall off like it's you know there's a certain point where it's very stylish to be sideways and then there's the point where it looks like it's gonna fall off his head and yes. he's he's really pushing that that envelope there <laughs> um so and we're not supposed to know who that is uh but he's some kind of you know steve calls him an informant but he's clearly either a blackmailer or a saboteur we'll call him a saboteur because that's saboteur. that's the theme for the day <laughs> so um so steve leaves and diane's sort of going after him out in the hallway uh at the the war department and uh the general reminds her uh how how important it is that uh they find those files because uh steve's you know, career depends on it his possibly his life if he's you know, if he's found to be a traitor, he could be executed. So, so the stakes are high. And so, of course, you see her make the decision, you know, Wonder Woman's going after him to help. Yeah, of course. The next thing you see is Steve getting to these stables, right, where this guy told him to, to go. The Virginia stables, which are on the way to, uh, uh, to a military outpost. It's obviously, uh, it looks like uh, somebody's horse stable that was taken over by the military temporarily. And so they've got a bunch of military stuff stored in there. And there's a guy in there that's evidently the guard uh, who's been knocked unconscious. And so uh, Steve goes, you know, Steve opens it up and sees this, sees the guard on the ground and he goes over to help him. And you see the shadow of this guy and he's holding the biggest wrench I've ever seen. Like, like, I mean, it's just a shadow, but you can see that that wrench is like as tall as like from this guy's waist to his head. Yes. Like, Absolutely. and he, and he, you know, that wrench comes down on Steve's head and like in real life, that would probably be a deadly blow. Yeah. Would never have survived that at all. <laughs> and Steve took it like a champ. 
He did. He did. He's just, he's got a little headache later when he gets up. He's just like, Ooh, something hit me. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> That's right. He's got that little, you know, ice pack on his head. Like the, the old timey ice pack that they used to have in movies where if you got a hangover or something. Yes. Um, and then we see, we see wonder woman running up the road and there's something about the slowness and the sort of, the dig desolate road. Like I just feel like wonder woman's been running down the road for miles. Nobody offered to pick her up. No, nobody. She didn't, she didn't think to like start doing leaps to, to pick up pace. She's just jogging down the road. And uh, I guess that's, you know, that's, I I don't know how else she would get there. So I guess that's, uh, (laughs) that's the way she's got to do it, but it just seemed like a kind of a slow process. Like, like we were seeing her an hour into her run. Like you know, she's like, <laughs> yeah. I've been running a long time. And didn't break a sweat at all. Oh, of course not. No, she probably loved it. I mean, it probably <laughs> feels good for her to go out, go out for a run for a couple hours. So the saboteur like sets after he knocks Steve out, he sets him in a Jeep. He puts some matches next to him just so, you know, it's obvious that Steve must've set this fire, but somehow got knocked out in the process. And so, and so the guy leaves and calls the police and um, he calls this guy. He has one little scene. I wasn't going to mention him because he had such a small role, but uh, I looked up his IMDB and I guess there's something about his look. He always plays cops like out of, I don't know, 40 or 50 uh, credits on IMDB half of them are police. Wow. Like he's, he's always a cop. He's a, he was on Hill Street Blues. He played a cop on Scarecrow and Mrs. King, All in the Family, Serpico. Uh, and his name was Ben McLean on Bold and Beautiful. He had one last uh, non-cop role. Um, but he um, uh, his name is uh, John Brandon. He plays Sergeant Strasky. So basically they're like, if we got a cop role, I got a guy. Don't worry. <laughs> I know just oh. the guy. He's <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Yeah. So, so our saboteur uh, calls this cop so that the cops will come and find Steve there. But of course, Wonder Woman, after jogging down the road for what might've been hours, you know, finally arrives. And what's, what's really cool about when she comes in to me is that, she comes in and the place is on fire. Right. So she gives this kind of dainty cough like, Oh, it's smoky in here. And then she goes over to the Jeep and there's a, there's a giant beam on top of Steve, I guess, you know, to make it look like that's how he got knocked out. And she just like flings it out of the way. Like she doesn't even try. And this giant beam just flies away. She just, you know, pushes it away. So she's like super dainty. And then the next second, she's like, oh, a beam, no problem. You know, I mean, it was just awesome. We can't make her too strong, not in the 70s. Yeah, well, that's, it's so, I mean, again, it's like, there's such a balance there. And this is an overall theme, really, with Wonder right. Woman. Like, she's so strong, but she has all the these attributes of this, you know, classic femininity that that I think people are comfortable with, you know, and, and so... Uh, it's just it just keeps her balanced, I guess. You know what yeah. I mean? No, I got you. I mean, when you think of a strong feminine woman, your first image is not them throwing a giant 
beam, <laughs> right. solid wood beam, just ever so lightly. Um, so no, I, I get what you're saying. It's more of like you you see strong femininity, and it's you know Wonder Woman. She's a powerful creature. <laughs> um, who yeah does a little dainty cough and is there saving somebody but she also comes through and can toss a beam or can toss a truck or you know whatever and you don't especially in that time period I imagine you you didn't see a lot of that in the same person yeah especially yeah. on a tv show right and and part of the magic I guess of Linda Carter is that she pulls that off like it's believable, you know, as she plays the character within the context of the show, it's, it's completely believable that she has that kind of strength and that she is that feminine. And, you know, she has all those qualities and they're just blended together perfectly and naturally in some way. Yes. So, and that's why, you know, it's always been so hard for people to cast that role. Like mm -hmm. it took a while to find Linda Carter and after her, uh, it was very hard to cast it, uh, I think, until the, the movie. Yeah, with Gal Gadot. Yeah. So, you know, and, and Gal seems to seems to be able to find that balance as well. Um, so this here episode, let's continue. <laughs> right. So uh, where the heck am I? So, uh, yeah. So she has to be uh, and, and drives Steve in that Jeep along with the unconscious guard who we never see again and just blasts right through the door and drives away before the police get there. I hope he makes it. <laughs> <laughs> that poor guard. We, we, we hope the best for him. And, and so Steve wakes up with that little old timey uh, cold compress on his head in Diana's apartment. And, and there's a shot of him sort of, you know, getting her into focus as he wakes up and you see, I mean, she must've been wearing them before, but it's the first time I really noticed the enormous glasses that they put on her. And I think part of it is because the, you can see the reflection. The reflection in, yeah. And, and it's kind of like, it's a little bent on the edges. Like it's just plastic, you know, like it's not actual glass in those things. So, which is great because if it were glass, like it would crush her nose. They're so big. You know, they'd be the heaviest glasses in the world. But they're they're anyway, they're enormous and you know, of course, disguising her so he doesn't recognize um, that. That's why I'm wearing mine. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um so uh he wakes up and and sh she she says, Oh, well, uh, I just found you on the doorstep and uh, you know, Wonder Woman left a note. And, and so Steve gets up, you know, he's got the little, oh yeah, I was just hit by a giant wrench and I feel okay. <laughs> and, and so he goes to the, with the mirror to kind of straighten himself out. And I don't know if, if Lyle Wagner did this on purpose, but, um, but Linda Carter says, or Wonder Woman, no, uh, Diana, I guess <laughs> says, um, she says, uh, you know, uh, I think you should talk to Baroness von Gunther. Uh, and and Steve is like, I was just going to do that. And and the way Lyle Wagner does it, it looks like he's lying. Like, it looks like he hears her say that and thinks, ooh, that's a good idea. <laughs> and then he says, uh, yeah, I was going to do that. 
I was I was just thinking I would do that. Yeah. Um, it's so the I, headache. It's the headache. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I found that a funny moment because I think Lyle Wagner was was goofing on us. Um, so so they go to they go to the um, the warden's office and they start talking to him about uh, Baroness von Gunther and and the warden's like, oh no, she's a model citizen. I'm sure she's not doing anything weird. And she, she walks with the guards. Yeah, that's right. She's very close to our guards, one in particular. So, <laughs> and then and then he says, everything here happens on the up and up. The, everything is tight as a drum, clockwork. And of course, then you hear like this giant crash outside his his um his office. And we get introduced to his son, Tommy. Young Tommy was played by Christian Gunther, who played a ton of of child roles. Uh, I mean, he, it looks like he his whole career was, uh, you know, was as a child. And once he hit 18, he was out of there. Uh, but he played uh, Teddy on The Bionic Woman. Uh, and his other kid roles were, you know, everywhere from Bewitched and Medical Center, Trapper John MD, to uh, seven roles in the magic world of Disney. I'll just say probably the chaos factor of this episode, right? And what's interesting, though, like looking forward, as soon as you meet this kid, you know, you're like, oh, he's the one that's going to cause all the trouble and cause all the problems. And Wonder Woman's going to fix it. And that's not actually what happens. Mm -hmm. Like he actually helps her. In fact, uh, she's the one that makes a grave error that actually could have been a lot worse, by the way, when she leaves her lasso. I'm just jumping ahead. She leaves her lasso. And says, Tommy, you keep that for me. And, you know, I'll come back and get it later, which is like a weird and irresponsible thing to do. I see that was what was going on. And especially as a parent, I'm like, listen, I don't even leave my fake glass, though, for cosplay around because I don't trust my kids not to ruin it. (laughs) (laughs) You're just out here just giving the warden son who, by the way, why is he just hanging out and playing at a prison? Right. You know, from a parent watching this, a parent level, obviously when I first seen it, I was not a parent. And now I'm just like, there's so many things wrong with this. Like my kid's just hanging out in the prison courtyard <laughs> with the inmates. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, oh, it's hard being a single parent. Like it's, it's, it, it, it must be because you're failing. You're, you're not doing well. <laughs> Absolutely. And in fact, he says at the end of the scene, he says, I sure wish my kid were playing instead of reading so much. <laughs> like what parent says that? I mean, okay. you want your kids to play, but he talks about reading like it's this terrible thing. He's always reading Sherlock Holmes and, you know. Because he's in the mischief. <laughs> I twist my beard, mustache. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we get introduced to the kid. We figure out he's loved Sherlock Holmes and he, he you know, he's, he's like, trying to you know use a fingerprint kit on the doorknob that's what's happening and so anyway um we follow the kid out outside and he he's like looking around in his little sherlock holmes hat and he he's following some footprints and he gets to first of all he discovers this key um that's a really weird looking key it doesn't look like any key i've ever seen but um and i guess that's intentional like because he he kind of doesn't know what it is at first and then he finds this secret door and it's got some stuff kind of piled in front of it, but not very well. Like it's not very hidden. And yet this kid is apparently the first 
person other than the people that use it regularly. He's the first person to see it. Like, oh, wow, there's a, a secret door here. And, yeah. and so he feels around to see if he can like make it work. And, and, you know, dislodges some bricks and, and there's a little keyhole. And he immediately thinks that this bizarre looking thing must be a key and he sticks it in there and the thing opens and it opens really cool. Like with a swoosh, like a, like a Star Trek door, you know? And then he, and then he goes through it. He has to do it very carefully though, because he has to close the bricks so and the door doesn't shut on him. I always liked that he drew attention to the, gotta hurry up and get under here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, he finds, I guess it's a, it, the, they never really say explicitly, but it must be just a little courtyard outside the prison. That is what it leads to. So while he's doing all that, the uh, Steve and Diana go to the Baroness to her cell and she, as soon as they meet her, she does this little fake faint. Yes. And I don't I, know if it was to try to put like some distance between Diana and Steve, maybe. Maybe. I, I couldn't I couldn't quite figure out what that was. Or to portray that she can't be doing anything or being in charge of anything. She's so weak and frail. Right. Yeah, that must be. I mean, I couldn't figure it out either. I just, <laughs> but but those make the most sense. Like, yeah, she's just weak and frail. Look, look, poor me. I couldn't be doing anything spy-like. So, and and another weird thing is that she puts when Steve, like, as Steve is getting there, like as he's announced, she puts on the key like a pendant, and yet there's nothing later in the episode to indicate that that was part of the plan for. Like, she didn't purposely want him to see it. In fact, him figuring out what it was, was uh, not something they anticipated. And yet she goes to the trouble of putting it on when he gets there. So I don't understand why that was either. Maybe yeah, she didn't not wanna... even, I was waiting on her to like tuck it in her dress. Like after she put it off, like, you know, just tuck it inside your shirt. Like most movies or shows you see. Yeah. And she just said, no, this big shiny gold pendant on my black dress is going to catch your eye. (laughs) (laughs) So, so they come in and Steve starts interrogating her and Diana immediately looks out the window and, and there is troublemaker Tommy um, scaling a very tall ladder. Like, I guess he's gotten back into the grounds or, or this is, I don't know if it's supposed to be outside the the prison grounds i think so because when the guards come out later like they have it takes them a while to get there so anyway she sees him on this very high ladder attached to a wall and it starts to come loose right of course and and so she tells steve this story like oh i forgot my steno pad uh i'm just gonna go back to the car (laughs) and so and so i i guess he thinks that's you know that's believable i don't i don't I mean, she didn't, they didn't act like she needed to take notes before. Um, but, you know, suddenly like going to the trouble of going all the way outside and going through all these guards, you know, uh, and then coming back with a steno pad for this very brief interrogation seems reasonable. And Steve's like, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, he kind of had like a pensive look like as she was le- leaving because they had the conversation of, you know, Diana's not usually this disorganized or I forget what the actual verbiage was, but. Oh, you're right. You're right. I forgot about that. In fact, I'm kind of questioning it with the Baroness because that's smart. Yes. I I wrote it. I wrote it down. 
wrote down what she said because it's it's one of the funniest things in this episode. Um, where the heck uh, is it? Do you need to go get your steno pad? Oh, I need to get my steno pad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he talks about how reliable she is and how how good she is at her job, and and she says, "I don't, you know, she she seems very plain and un- is uninteresting, like wet bisquick." <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Wouldn't that just be pancake batter? <laughs> I don't... Yes, it would be. <laughs> Why would I don't <laughs> was that a common comparison back then? I'm gonna start using that now. It's kind of it's it really it's evocative. It, it really paints a picture. But I I I thought that was excellent. That was very nicely done. But yeah, because yeah, it could be pancake batter, but it's more I don't know. It's just more interesting to say wet biscuit. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm putting that one down. I'm going to use that as an insult. <laughs> so we see another Wonder Woman change, this time in a tiny locker room. And, uh, you know, if it's so expensive, why show two in one episode? I mean, I, I think they're cool, but I don't think it was necessary to see her change because we've already seen that she can do that. But anyway, I, I I shouldn't look a gift horse in the mouth because it's it's awesome to see her change. Um, That's why they did it right there. Well, <laughs> second episode, we gotta hook them. That's a very good point. Actually, you're you're absolutely right. Like they need to, they did need to put a lot in these first couple of episodes because I I have the feeling um, it wasn't just the pilot, but it was these this this first group of episodes that that were going to predicate whether or not they would continue with the uh, with the series. Um, so I think you're absolutely right. Um, so she goes out there and does a really cool, you know, they do some cool stunts here to, she like somehow jumps up, grabs him. And then as the ladder's falling, she jumps up to a higher ledge and then um, ties her lasso around like a, a, a chimney or a vent or something. And then they rappel down. And so that right there, maybe it's just that she's inexperienced as Wonder Woman. And she didn't, you know, because of the way she did that, now her lasso is tied up at the top. And and that's why she has to leave it. Because, I mean, she could just jump up and get it. But um, but the, right. guards, the guards start coming out. And so she's like, oh, I better go. Uh, hang on to my lasso for me. You know, guard it well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, props to her stunt double, though, because even for back then in that time frame, like the stunt just was like, oh, that's neat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's actually I mean, that and and her last fight with the Baroness, I -hmm. think are two really great um, stunt sequences. Absolutely. Um, So. So yeah, she hightails it out of there when the guards come come to get him. And somehow we don't see it. But somehow, without the guards looking, he's going to get that rope. Like, if she had trouble getting it real quick, how does she think he's going to get that rope? How did he get back up there to get it? He's going to have to go back up to the roof to get the rope. And the ladder's gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I guess... Did he climb back up with the rope? That's what he does. He climbs the rope to get to the top. And then how does he get back down? <laughs> Yeah, the dummy. The oh, dummy that, that they kid. used strapped around her neck to go down the first time. 
Oh, you know, I didn't. The last time I watched that um, sequence when she climbed down, I, I, I didn't even think that it was a dummy before. And of course it's a dummy, you know, a little Tommy dummy uh, around the, the, the stunt woman's uh, neck. Uh, I think they did a good job with that dummy. They really I did. They really did. I, even in HD, I didn't think about it until the last time. I'm like, oh my God, of course that's a dummy. Uh, I don't know how else they would have done that stunt. So there's a final shot uh, in, in the Baroness's cell where Steve's talking to her. And the only thing I could think is, look at those pretty pink towels in the in the background. <laughs> like, you know, it's a prison, but we're going to make the Baroness feel at home with these pretty pink towels. I think that was great. I don't know why I noticed that. Oh, and it's then good. how does she even have a key? Like, they didn't search her? Was that a, not a thing? <laughs> You know, I I guess they just leave her alone. Well, she has her buddy, the guard there. Yeah. Who takes care of her. He he must look after her. He's the one that brought those nice pink towels. They're slipping money, trading Newport. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Steve is told that, hey, visiting hours are over. Like, I I don't know. I, I would think that Steve has, you know, a little authority to like, you know, stay there as late as he needs to. If he's, if it's a matter of, you know, um, state security or whatever, but no visiting hours are over. So you have to Mm -hmm. go, we have to serve her dinner uh, (laughs) on a pink plate. And, and so he leaves and, and it's, I mean, it's fine with Steve because he's not getting any anywhere. And so he sees Diana. He finally sees Diana outside the prison and she's like, Oh, I got lost. (laughs) So, um, so they leave. He's like, "Yeah, I, I, I didn't get anything out of, uh, out of this lady." And Diana's like, "Yes, I don't trust her." And that's, by the way, I missed that in my notes before, but that's another cool thing about, you know, like he he makes an excuse for her being there so that she can be there, but it's a good excuse. He says that she's intuitive, um, so she's good to have on a you know, when I'm when I'm questioning somebody, you right. know, she. She has empathy. She, uh, you know, she can sense when people are lying, I guess, is his implication. Um, and she, you know, she comes through. She's like, at the end, she's like, I don't trust her. She's hiding something. So she knows. Uh, but but Steve's like, yeah, I could tell. <laughs> so, so I guess he didn't need her there. But now she's lost her lasso. So what are we going to do? So in the cell, the Baroness tells Hanson, her trusty guard, to go tell Thor uh, to meet I them. I thought and, it was the superhero Thor. Ah, uh, yeah. That would have been nice. <laughs> Immediately my thought, and then I was like, no, not it. No, unfortunately, not that Thor. Just the whatever secret Nazi Thor that we haven't met yet. Yeah. Uh, or at least we don't know that we've met. Um, and that, it turns out that that is the, uh, the real name of this uh senator or not not the senator but the rich guy the magnet the uh uh what's his name alan deal uh, arthur deal arthur, deal. arthur deal. that's right because arthur and thor are kind of similar so his fake name is arthur deal and uh uh that's their that's their contact on the outside this guy that is the uh super patriot that's going to be convicting steve of all this Arthur Deal is played by Bradford Dillman, 
who uh, had a really long career. At least it looked <laughs> looks that way on IMDb. The page just goes on forever. Um, he uh, he worked from 1955 to 1995. Uh, his first roles were um, in a, a TV series in 55 called Modern Romances, uh, and he played in Doctor Kildare. Uh, Barnaby Jones, Falcon Crest, and finally wound up in Murder, She Wrote. So she says, you know, let's uh, contact him. So they show outside the um, the prison later that night. And, of course, Tommy's in a tree watching. He's got his eye on everything. And he sees, uh, is it Hanson? I'm losing his names here. Yeah, Hanson, the guard, who, once again, this child sees this guard that he knows well, because he just had an argument with him doing a, you know, giving a little flashlight signal to somebody and, you know, up to no good. And he doesn't tell anybody like he has a chance now to tell his father, Oh, by the way, your guard Hanson is a spy because he just took, he just took the Baroness out of here. Yeah, like, I mean, clearly he knows him when he hangs out there. He had the treehouse steps already built. Like, yeah. that wasn't just done in a day. Right. So it's like, how are you not telling your dad, hey, daddy, warden? You know that guard that hangs out? <laughs> <laughs> so then we see the Baroness arguing with Arthur Deal at his at his place. And they're just going back and forth. And it's, it's really just um, kind of exposition you know, to talk about what their plan actually is and to reveal that there's a hitch in their plan and that hitch is Wonder Woman. I like I like when Alan Deal turns around and says, Wonder Woman. Um, And so so they decide to accelerate their plans, right? And so they're going to, instead of making Steve just look like a traitor so they can, they can, uh, you know, put him through this, this Senate hearing and convict him. Uh, They're actually going to capture him and make it look like he's defected. And, uh, and Arthur deal ends the scene saying something about uh, he'll have the evidence on his body. And the Baroness goes, ah, yes, his all American body. Splendid. I think they wanted to make her like more of a femme fatale style and it just kind of didn't go as planned. <laughs> yeah. I think you're right because because the uh the lines and the fake faint and all that stuff mm-hmm. seem to indicate that, but she didn't play it that way. Like she never plays like she's attracted to Steve, even though right. this line makes that obvious. Yes. So that's kind of weird. Maybe like an afterthought. They were like, oh, yeah, throw that in there. <laughs> so we go to the prison yard and uh, the Baroness finds Tommy there reading his little book. And um, just hanging out in the prison yard <laughs> again <laughs> with the inmates. <laughs> yeah. And and she says, oh, uh, by the way, Wonder Woman's a friend of mine. Uh, and she wanted me to check on that lasso. So. Go make sure it's hidden well, right? Which is like, doesn't make Tommy suspicious at all. None. He's just not reading the right Sherlock Holmes books at that point. He's like, not. <laughs> and so, of course, he goes through the secret door. And and the thing is, I'm almost positive that when they show him going through the secret door again, 
it's the exact same footage as the first time he went through. I was wondering that too. Yeah. I, I mean, look at that. it's all the same moves and the same expressions on his face. So who knows? Maybe he's just a really good actor and hit his mark exactly the same way the second time. <laughs> They're paying for the spin. The yeah, that's time. right. That's right. I'm going to save some money here. So, so he goes out, checks the lasso and, and Hanson follows him out there so you can see where the lasso is. And so Hanson goes and, and grabs it. After a commercial break, we're back at uh, Arthur Deal's house. And there's a little bit of conversation between him and Steve. But then the Baroness suddenly appears. And Steve knows that, you know, they got the drop on him. And uh, the general's trying to talk to Arthur Deal to find out how the meeting went and find where Steve is because he's missing. And Arthur Deal's like, oh, yeah, he was here, but he left. And... Uh, and the general goes, I, I hope the conversation went well and you believe he's innocent. And, and he's like, no, I think he's more guilty than ever. So, and the general's like, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> we're not suspicious that you were the last person to see him. And right. <laughs> well, I mean, Arthur Deal is a magnet. He's above suspicion. <laughs> he's, he's a very rich man and a patriot. So uh, he's got nothing to worry about. So we're outside the prison. And, and Tommy sees the Baroness leave. He actually, I guess this is the first time he actually sees the Baroness leave, I think. Uh, but he sees that she's got the lasso with him or with her. So she's got the lasso and he's like, oh, crap. She's a bad guy. <laughs> I shouldn't have trusted her. <laughs> Not in the prison courtyard. No. Then she shows Steve the lasso and, and she's like, you're going to sign a confession to prove that you're a traitor or we're going to, you know, we're going to do something bad to Wonder Woman. And they don't, I don't really know why that's so convincing. Just because they have her lasso doesn't mean necessarily that they can harm her. Mm -mm. Like they're going to make her tell the truth. about. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> they can make him tell the truth, but. They can't make, I don't know. I, it, like it doesn't, it doesn't follow that they can use the lasso to prove that they're going to harm Wonder Woman unless he signs the confession. Like that's their play there. But at and this point, they don't, he doesn't know that they don't have her. That's true. So maybe it's just a, listen, I've got something that she wouldn't leave to a random kid in a prison courtyard. Yeah. Keeping. Yeah. Okay. So maybe they're they're just showing him that they've got her. Yeah. By using the lasso. They're, okay. They're bluffing. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. Because <laughs> uh, I want to believe that it would take a lot for Steve to sign a, a confession for being a traitor. Like it would have to take a lot. Um, so he does. He does it, and they they send it to Blankenship, and you know she. Okay. So this is the first time I think that they show at a candy. And if, if you know this character, she's, she's blank and I think she's Blankenship's secretary. And, um, and she's meant to be like a comic, uh, like a comic character, comic relief, but they don't really explain who she is or why she's there just eating food. <laughs> like in the middle of the day, in the middle of the office, they just got, you know, they're worried about Steve. He's missing. He just, they just got a, a, 
a, a signed confession and she's sitting there eating pie. Yes. And, and it's just stress eating. <laughs> she's stressing. <eating. laughs> Absolutely. I can relate. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, um, so there's Etta, uh our first our first look at her. Uh she's played by Beatrice Colin. I, I shouldn't say Colin. I think it's Colin. I'd rather say Colin than Colin. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce her name, I'll be honest. Uh, but she's probably best known as one of the waitresses on Happy Days at least best known in my mind, because I totally remember oh, her. Yeah. And, uh, but she's been like, you know, she was a guest star on all kinds of shows back then. Barney Miller, Alice, Night Court, Knott's Landing. Um, so, and she's awesome. And she gets to do more in later episodes, but she didn't really get to do much here, uh, except eat pie. And so, um, so Diana goes, she's like, I'll find Wonder Woman. I'll go find her. I'm, I'm sure Steve's got a lot of papers. He must have information about how to find her. So. And they're at my apartment. That's what she said. All, yeah. All of his confidential papers. They're at my. <laughs> my apartment. I, so. Uh, so she goes with this, this tenuous, this, this uh, very thin story, cover story. And, uh, and then. I don't understand how Wonder Woman just finds Tommy outside the prison. I guess he's hanging out there and she's, you know, she's Wonder Woman. She could just like show up and look around and, and, you know, with awesome vision and find him hiding in a tree or wherever it is. But it's like, it's night and he's just outside somewhere and she finds him right away. Of course. Yeah. And so she, um, he tells her about the car and she's like, did you get the license plate? And then she calls this lady who I guess is the military DMV person. <laughs> she had that address of the quickness. It was she, definitely not Diana's filing system. Right. It was, yeah. This lady knows how to file because yeah. she found she had like a Rolodex of every vehicle in the area and immediately. Oh, and by the way, uh, 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 Wonder Woman is, is calling using Blankenship's voice to get the lady to to find this uh this license number right away uh to find out who it belongs to and uh so that was that was kind of cute and weird seeing linda talking in a man's voice and of course blankenship when he does the voiceover is very very official and very stern and uh so she she gets the address and of course it's arthur deal and you know she puts it all together she shows up at deal's place and of course, Steve is there tied up and, you know, Arthur Deal says something clever. And then the Baroness comes out of nowhere with this little perfume sprayer and gases Wonder Woman. I need it. I need it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a great thing to have. And, and she not only has like really cool perfume style gas, but she has a, uh, an iron chain that elephants can't break yeah i thought that line was kind of funny because i was like okay but this, this is wonder woman that's a little bit different <laughs> well she will find out later that wonder woman is stronger than an elephant mm -hmm. uh you know but she was really proud of that that chain that the nazis developed that a, a an elephant can't break out of like 
I don't know, the Nazis were capturing elephants and training them <laughs> or something. So she's, you know, acts like, you know, so I'm going to tie her up with this, uh, with this chain. And so in the meantime, somebody at the prison finally figures out that there's been an escape. <laughs> and it wasn't the kid who's right there, you know, telling them, you know, the Baroness, and I, I, I'm, I'm complaining about it, but obviously in the scene, you know, Tommy's like, yeah, I told you the Baroness left. She was in a car, you know, like after his dad already panics and leaves the room because his dad won't listen to him. That's right. the thing. Like he's probably told them five times, you know, I think Hanson's a spy. I think, I think the Baroness is, uh, is getting out at night. You know, he's probably told his dad a million times and he's like, sure, son, please don't read another book. I was about to say reading too many books, just go play instead. <laughs> so anyway, I should not I should not complain because it's the warden's fault. Anyway, the warden's like, oh, my gosh, we've had an escape. And he runs out of the room and the kid is like, you know, saying out loud. Yeah, I tried to tell you, you know, the Baroness did this and that. And. And he says it out loud and Hanson's right there behind him and he hears him and he's like, well, you know, you're not going to tell anybody anymore, kid. And, you know, the implication is that he's grabbing the kid and and heading off to Deal's place. So we show Deal's place and all three of them are tied up. Like, I didn't expect to see when they started the scene. I didn't expect to see the kid there, too. You know, Mm -hmm. but they're all three of them in a row tied up to chairs. And. And and then the Baroness gets to do her bad guy speech where, you know, she doesn't have to, but she's going to sit down and tell them her plan. Of course, of course. <laughs> and they patiently listen. And then we get back to the, the prison and the warden's like, uh, is, is told that his son is gone and Hanson's gone too. And I think it's weird that they know that Hanson's gone because like, the guards have been scrambled looking for the prisoner. How do they know that Hansen is missing? Unless a lot of time has passed, which is possible. But that, and then, I mean, he was always at the forefront. That's the last person they saw the kid with, right? That, that's true. Maybe? That's true. He's, you know, maybe his, he's supposed to be outside the warden's office when he's not walking around the, the yard with, with the baroness. with the villain, yeah. <laughs> So he's, uh, it's obvious that he's missing. And of course the son is missing. And so the father panics, right? And then he looks down at his feet and he finds his son's notebook and starts leafing through it. And immediately, like, like magic starts putting everything together. Like, you know, he reads like, oh, there's a secret tunnel and a key. There must Wasn't be a secret tunnel. taped in the journal? Oh, that's right. Yeah. I, I missed that the last time. I'm like, how did they get through the, uh, how did, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The last time I watched this episode was like this morning and I was running out of time because I was having so many technical problems to tend to. So I was watching it at 1.5 speed. And so everybody's like kind of rattling around in high speed, you know, going blah, 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 blah. And, and little details get skipped over because I didn't see the key. And I'm like, how did they, even if he found the, the the tunnel, how did he get through? How did he get through it without a key? So I totally missed that. Um, but thank you for catching that. And so so yeah, all this stuff is in the book, and the warden just who's been a total cynic 
completely figures everything out. Like he knows where to look for the secret door and he knows how to get through it. And he finds the, the little license plate written in there. And so he's going to, you know, he has them find out. And the thing is, he doesn't need to know that necessarily because you would think with that information, then he can go save his son. He'll, he'll know that Arthur Deal, uh, and maybe that's a piece of evidence they need later. But the thing is, you know, the cops never show up at Arthur Deal's place uh, that we see. Maybe they do, you know, after the last <laughs> scene. I don't know. But anyway, so he he suddenly is a total believer uh, in his son's, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes notebook. And so... He mobilizes his guards, and uh, and then we go back to Deal's place, and they're like, you know, they're gonna they're gonna start moving. They're gonna take Steve to wherever they're gonna take him, and and so as soon as they break, they get Steve. Wonder Woman breaks her chains, and, and mayhem starts. Right, <laughs> and my first thought, of course, is this is awesome, and then my second thought is. So Wonder Woman could have gotten out of those chains at any time, but she just was chilling for a while, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you got to build the suspense. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she needed to he hear the Baroness's plan. Yes. So she just patiently let her talk. Absolutely. I feel like that's, yeah, has yeah. to be part of the plan. She doesn't know what she's going to do next once she busts out of the chains. Yeah. So... So anyway, she she uh, takes her moment and and it is I will say that it's advantageous that um, Steve is being carried off by one or two other people and and she's, you know, breaks out of her chains. So then they're they're kind of split up. So, you know, Steve can start fighting people and she can start fighting people. And I don't remember exactly how the how the fight went, but it was again, it was one of those things where she kind of. She she punched somebody or got them out of the way, and then Steve jumped in so he could start punching, and so it was like she she let him sort of take over that part of the fight, yeah. And then and then she like focused on the Baroness, and she like throws her against the the wall, and this like little partition falls on her, which is <laughs> great. And then she you know uh, uh, tends to a couple of other guards, and then. And then the Baroness like breaks out of this partition. She's like, you know, she's pretty tough and she's, that's not the end of her yet. And so then, uh, so they've subdued everybody except the Baroness who, who starts running and, and Wonder Woman's like, I'm going to go after her. And, and Steve wants to do it too. And, and she's like, no, you stay here and make sure my friend Tommy gets back home. <laughs> she kind of like patted him on the head. That's cute. Stay here. <laughs> So we've had enough of, of catering to his ego. Now it's time for Wonder Woman to just, you know, get the job done. Yeah. So, and she, so this house is on a hill and, <laughs> and the Baroness starts running down the hill and, and Wonder Woman leaps after her and they have this great sort of, uh, you know, roll down the hill slash cat fight wow. as they're rolling down. <laughs> And I say cat fight, not to be like demeaning. Like sometimes she's like in a rumble, but this was a cat fight. Like they were just kind of, you know, jabbing at each other and like, you know, like practically pulling each other's hair. It was, it was a very funny sort of roll slash fight as they went down the hill. Yeah. You can see that like she would stop for a minute or they would like hit a little stop and she would try to like 
pin her down again and then they'd start rolling yeah. <laughs> just kept repeating <laughs> and so and so the baroness just about you know she she goes on she starts running again and linda rather than you know following her she's like ah oh, just i'll lasso her so she <laughs> she takes her lasso and you know, as as the Baroness is passing this pool, she gets lassoed and then gets pulled into the pool, which is like extra humiliating. So I like that that little moment. So then so then she, you know, pulls her out of the pool and Tommy and Steve are OK. And they're like, well, you know, all's well that ends well. And uh, and then there's like an epilogue scene in Steve's office. I think it's Steve's office. And we get some more out of candy. And Blankenship is there and they sort of, you know, give us a little epilogue about like, uh, you know, she's going to jail, but she's going to be in solitary. So she's not going to be happy. And we're going to, you know, we're going to give these, these spies a fair trial. They make sure to say that because democracy is better than being a Nazi. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and then uh, Diana has, you know, a few kind things to say about i didn't write it down exactly women and men being able to learn to be better people yeah i did yeah yeah where i was raised uh we were taught that good must triumph over evil Mm -hmm. and that women and men can learn and that's the last line of the show so and that and that's great you know because like everybody's satisfied that justice is served but she sort of reminds them that you know, everybody can learn to be better and everybody can be um, reformed. At least that's what she believes. And yeah. and that's like the truth that she brings to, to the table. Yeah. And thus ends the episode. With her smile. Yeah. So let's talk about you, Katie. First of all, when did you first see wonder woman like how old were you and what were the circumstances were you a kid i was a kid um so it was 80s it was definitely in the 80s um and i had seen i grew up in virginia beach at this time and so the girls there wonder woman was a big thing and that's back when they had the halloween costumes that were just the plastic cape and the plastic mask that you couldn't <laughs> breathe in um and they wore it all the time and i did not grow up in being able to afford costumes and things like that. So I I had to kind of be whatever, but I always saw the costumes and was like, who is this woman? Tell me about her. What does she do? Because um, you always grew up with Batman, Superman. And right. Wonder Woman was new to me. And I remember staying the night at a friend's house and she was like, look, we can watch it. And I just remember being like, wow that's super cool like it's a superhero that's a woman and I didn't really get into the whole show a lot um because the only time I could watch it when I was at this friend's house um so it kind of went away for a little while I didn't really get to see her until I got much older so back in my 20s is when it really picked up and I really started going okay Linda Carter is everything now (laughs) Uh, awesome so how did you how did you start doing cosplay um it was kind of funny I was just had the Halloween costume um my I got invited to go visit a children's hospital um with a local group 
that is, it's a biker club, but it was for paramedics, police officers, you know, public service um, group. We're going to visit a, the children's hospital in Greenville. And they had had somebody that was going to dress up as Batman and Thor. We're going to go. And they were like, oh, well, you look like Wonder Woman. If we get you the costume, would you mind going too? And I was like, okay, sure. You know, it was charity. I'm not going to say no, of course. Um, so they got me a little Party City costume. And we went and did it. Batman and Thor ended up not being able to join us. Um, so it was literally just me who had never done anything like this ever, ever. Um, in a Party City Wonder Woman costume and going around and talking to kids. Um, so it just kind of um, a group in Greenville, two guys that are the group that I'm with now, had seen some of my pictures from where I had worn the costume and had worn it again for Halloween, because why not, um, and asked me to join their group. Come along with them to visit the hospital, and it just snowballed from there, picked up. What was it like? Um going to that first event like dressed up as wonder woman for the first time and then and then meeting these kids like what kind of stuff did you do and how did how did it make you feel i was so nervous so nervous i was so scared um i didn't know how i was going to handle my emotions if i saw anything it's a children's hospital so you you never knew what kind of situations you were about to see um why they might have been in the hospital some could be just as simple as they were sick um with a dehydration or you know something that you knew was curable and they were going home and then there were others that were there for cancer treatments and so being able to put on a face of a very strong character um I was nervous about doing and wasn't sure if I was going to be able to um but we went room to room took pictures um we had little coloring books or little gift bags that they had made so we were giving those out when we went room to room and once I got to talking to these kids, it didn't matter anymore. The nerves were no longer an issue, you know, just seeing their faces light up, even, you know, when they're not feeling themselves at all. After that, it was, that was it for me. And <laughs> I, I wanted to do more. And so I got that opportunity and have been with that group ever since. So awesome. So, so after that, and after they, they had you join their their group you um you started cosplaying did you um like how did you put your costume together like you know graduating from the party city costume <laughs> um I had actually I don't even remember how I came across her page I think I was on um Etsy or something but there is Viva Wonder Woman she was out of Vegas I believe she's in Utah now um She's Miss Vivalicious on Instagram, but she makes Wonder Woman costumes, not only for herself, and she's a gorgeous Wonder Woman cosplayer, um, but she makes costumes for everyone else as well, does custom orders. And so I reached out to her and ordered my first suit with her. Um, so now all of my suits have come from her. <laughs> Being able to graduate from that Party City costume to this, I knew this is what I was going to be doing for quite some time. So... It was a nice feeling. So is there anything, uh, any particular memory that you have uh, from cosplaying that sticks with you? Uh, there are so many. Um, and luckily, I take a lot of pictures just by nature. Um, and I have kept everything. Um, kids at Comic-Cons, um, 
hospital visits, different things like that have drawn or colored pictures or even just wrote me notes. And I literally have a whole notebook dedicated to everything. Um, even if it's just a flyer from an event, thank you cards for showing up for birthday parties. I have kept everything. Um, so going through those, but one of the big things that has stood out was uh, my first hospital visit with the new group. Um, so it was the second time ever doing a hospital visit as a Wonder Woman character. Um, we were about to go in this room and the nurse stops us and says, you know, the family in this room wants to see you. Um, but I need to let you all know that it is a very sensitive subject. Uh, the baby had, was in there um, with shaken baby syndrome. Uh, his name's Baby Andrew. Uh, so <laughs> he is super, super special. But when we went in there, you know, this tiny, tiny little baby is hooked up to all kinds of things. Um, and the family just was so excited to see us walk in, took a bunch of pictures. Um, and I had just had my daughter. I was, I think she was only like a year or two old herself. Um, so I remember the other characters had walked out of the room and I started tearing up and the family just came over and kept hugging and hugging and hugging. And, you know, I was telling them, just let me know if you need anything. Uh, they're from the same town that I live in. So I actually, when he came out of the hospital, um, I had went over and visited a couple times. I'm still in touch with the family and check on baby Andrew regularly. Um, and this, of course, was 10 years ago. He wasn't even supposed to make it out of the hospital. Um, and we were there for his first birthday. They invited all of the characters back and did a superhero birthday for his first birthday. Um, and it's actually coming up. His birthday's Halloween. So happy birthday, baby Andrew. But um, that was just huge to me, just as a mother and as a Wonder Woman character and being able to come back and see him and celebrate life with him and stay in touch with that family. It, it's just, it was huge and I love them. And they're a lot of why I kept doing it after the fact. Um, and even just let, allowing me to be a part of the family now yeah. has been great. What is it you love about cosplay, about Wonder Woman cosplay in particular? With Wonder Woman, she, and I mean, we're friends on Facebook, so you may have seen some of my posts where um, the character and being able to portray her pretty much saved my life. Like it came at a time where I was going through a lot of personal things and did not really know who I was anymore, did not feel like I was contributing anything to the world. Um, so being able to portray her and I joined this group and we're visiting these hospitals and just the reactions of not only the kids, but the parents, um, even parents that didn't, weren't at the hospital, but had seen pictures because somebody else had posted them or, you know, had seen my stuff and just hearing how much joy and happiness that that can bring to people and how they, you know, I finally felt like I had a purpose and this character brought that purpose to me. Um, I never thought in a million years that I would be 20, 30 something years old dressing up as Wonder Woman and it mean anything. And it just constantly, every time I put that suit on, all my stress, my worries are gone for a little bit because I get to be the strong, independent character and be that for other people too and represent that. So 
it's she genuinely meant the world to me and even years from now when I'm no longer suiting up she's she's a huge part of my life I've got her tattooed on my arm now so definitely a huge part that's so cool thank you um if people want to follow you on uh, social media uh where would you direct them um my instagram it would be katina k-a-t-i-n-a underscore maravilla so m-a-r-a-v-i-l-l-a um i would definitely also recommend following miss be delicious on instagram she's the one that did my suits and she's the one that continuously <laughs> we have actually developed a friendship over the Wonder Woman stuff. Um, we've each went through some difficult things in our personal life and we've been able to lean on each other as well as some other cosplayers. Um, so definitely Instagram. They can keep up with some of that there um, and see some of my other cosplays that I've done. Well, Katie, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you, Sam. You know, I'm always for it. If it's got anything to do with Wonder Woman and or you. I'm All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I can't thank Katie enough for sharing her story with us. I didn't warn her that there would be such a delay until the episode dropped, so birthday wishes may be more like half-birthday wishes on the other side of the equinox, but any birthday wishes are good once every year, depending on when you listen to our podcast. Now, speaking of podcasts, I of course want to encourage you to listen to my good friends on Made for TV Mayhem, eventually Super Train and Bookum Dano if you love classic TV, but I want to give a special shout out to Satin Tights, a Wonder Woman podcast. When I got the idea to do this show, that was the only other Wonder Woman podcast that I could find that was focused on the Linda Carter TV show. Now at the time that I checked, they were on hiatus and they gave me their blessing to proceed. In the last year or so, they started back up, but I avoided listening to them so that I wouldn't inadvertently copy them or emulate them in some way. Well, once I got my first episode out, I took a listen, and you guys, I am in no danger of coming anywhere close to this incredible podcast. It is a different beast, and I sure hope you keep listening to us, but if you want an absolutely in-depth, detailed scene-by-scene breakdown with all the background details. I mean, these guys had multiple versions of the pilot shooting script that they were referencing. It is a fantastic podcast and so entertaining. If you're a fan, check out Satin Tights, a Wonder Woman podcast. Now, in the meantime, we'll be coming right back at you next month with our friend Heather, who will be helping us take a look at episode three, Fausta, the Nazi Wonder Woman. That, my friends, is the legendary Linda Day George. It's Linda versus Linda next time on Wonder Woman Wednesdays. In the interim, please be kind to one another whenever possible. It is always possible. Mm